So, Neil, you were just telling me how the state of the world is driving you to drink. Well, that you're hungover because it's driven you to drink and you were on on the lash last night, as I say, and, um, and, and you don't think you'll be able to get your thoughts together well enough today because <laughs> like, uh, the state of the world, and it's the state of the world's fault, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, actually, it's, you were... It's social collapse. Yeah. It's a condition that causes you to just reach out for the nearest... Nearest bottle of liquor. Yeah. Yeah. Preferably a good one. Ideally, yeah. <laughs> but anything will do, like in a, in yeah. a pinch, you know. Um, Thanks, Joe, for outing me there. Yeah. Well, we're all about truth and honesty in this show, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> um, you were telling me about Alex Jones claims that he, he uses a bottle to, to, to cope with. Yeah. Yeah, he said it. He said as much um, during a rambling. I mean, he was drinking at the time mm. on his more recent um, podcast with Joe Rogan. Mm. I think it was the second one where him, Joe Rogan, and Matt, uh, Matt Dillon, Tim Dillon, yeah. New York comedian, were there. I mean, he was drinking during the show. Mm. But uh, he said, yeah, he drinks a lot, you know, mm. And he drinks like he, that. He would drink in a similar way that others use coffee mm. to simulate. Mm-hmm. Like he'd be falling asleep mm. trying to get his head around fifty different articles, news items he wants to condense into the next news segment or article or something. And the only way he can power through it is with the help of hard liquor. Mm. You know, I I feel I feel for him a bit because he's probably a prisoner of his own. He said, also, he, uh, that's, I'm getting the idea from him. He said, I'm kind of like a slave to this. I've been doing it for so long, just so much content. And he's driven and driven. And yet the only, he's kind of trapped in it. The only way he can do it is to, to drink. Yeah. And probably also the only way he can cope with it mm-hmm. emotionally. Although yeah, he's not yeah. exactly one to talk about his emotions. I'm, I'm surmising that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the state of the world is, I mean, if, if people's, you know, focus on it too much and, and dig mm. into it and stuff and try and figure it out. It can be pretty stressful, you know, especially if you... Because there are all points to there not really being a, any kind of solution, you know. All of the arrows are pointing towards this yeah. is going down the toilet uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future and there's nothing anybody can do about it. There's just... You know, there's, there's no re- recourse to any... Um, Anybody or any power or anything to kind of talk about a sense and to... Or any to, revolutionary or creative mass solution. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem to be um, that, that's, available. That's harsh, I know, because that Which, immediately takes a big swing at what motivates a lot of them. I mean, yeah. uh, well, on the left, Russell Brand, that's what he's all about. You know, that we can, if we just hit critical mass, and yeah, yeah. allow the solutions to come up and share them and communicate them with each other. Yeah. Another world is possible. It's the yeah. same basic slogan of the left. Yeah. But it's also the right that's fueled by that too. I mean, In their what, own way. what motivates Tim Poole, Paul Joseph Watson, Alex Jones, the whole spectrum to get up and do what they do hyperactively day after day? Mm-hmm. They, they really want to fix the problem, they mm-hmm. think they can be done. And they're prepared to do it, you know, to grind themselves into poor health, poor mental health or physical health to do it. Mm-hmm. Bless them. But we think they're misguided because, well, we've taken a philosophical, a, a philosophical starting point that this is way bigger than any yeah. movement or a set of ideas can fix. A set of yeah. human ideas, let's yeah. say, there are. It's not about fixing it, basically, is, is our perspective, that, that, that 
the world isn't for anybody to fix. It's it's there to be experienced essentially and to be, yeah, to be I, learned I, from, you know, and there's an awful lot to learn from what's going on in the world today. If you, but you have to pay attention to it because there's a lot of people out there who aren't learning anything from it in terms of how things actually work and, and why things work the way they work and stuff, you know. So it's like it's like observing a, a giant organism, you know, and it's and as it changes and grows and that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. And um, an organism made up of you know, 8 billion people all with individual personalities and stuff. So um, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And if you can take that perspective of a kind of like a, an anthropological perspective in a certain sense, you know, uh, as if you're studying or observing a, a, a species that was going through a certain stage of its kind of life cycle, let's say, or something like that, that you hadn't seen before, something like that. Um, yeah. You know, it, it gives you a certain distance from it, but if you get too close to it and think that, you know, this is me, basically, this is my future, this is my life, this is the life of my children... Yeah. Um, or the future of my children then look at me now ma i'm an influencer yeah well not only that because you start to actually believe that you're having an influence that but also wanting to change it wanting to change it is is is, and and believing that you're part of it that you're in the middle of that the whole all the chaos happening is is uh spelling impending doom for for you and your your family and the people you love then you can get very stressed about it of course and And to alleviate that well you try to get involved you get harder and harder uh, for, further and further into it and more and more involved in it and, and shout louder and louder and stuff, you know. But then it's kind of pissing against the wind, as I say, because uh, that's not, doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a, a solution in that direction yeah. and there doesn't seem to be a solution as people perceive it, you know. Uh, it's quite clear that the that there are people on this planet with very different perspectives and very different natures or you know, views of the world which are a function of their of their being, of their essence, let's say, of, of who they are at a very fundamental level and, and never the twain shall meet between those two types of people. So all you're going to do is just increase the polarity and yeah. increase the, so the conflict tension. and the tension between those two. That's not going to help. Yeah. So the only sane for people who really have been looking at it closely and certainly looking at over history is a very important part of, of getting a perspective on where we are today. You have to look at where we came from and the only really sensible, rational and sane perspective to take on it is a kind of more detached one because anything else, like the idea of getting involved in it and working for change and stuff, uh, clearly it's being, being, people who do that are pushed back against left, right and centre. There doesn't seem to be a a way out uh, in in that path. They're directed blindly Un- unintentionally into agitating for something for something they that don't see at the time but looking back three years later they're like okay so that whole spiel yeah was another red herring yeah and i was banging on about it at yeah, the yeah. time churning out lots of content and all i was effectively doing if they were honestly thinking about it and looking back mm-hmm. was agitating a mass of yeah. people for well, some other purpose i didn't understand yeah 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 they being governments, whoever authorities, agitating people, getting people focused on, worked up and focused on some particular enemy seems to be the case yeah. if you look at it. I mean, uh, in recent years anyway, there's been multiple enemies presented to the global population and particularly Western populations, but the global population increasingly. So uh, as something to focus on and something to work for and agitate, we all have to get together. We're all in this together. We all have to do something. Let's put our energies into combating this threat. I mean, it, there's been global, as, you know, 
that on a global scale, obviously with COVID, we're all in this together. We have to do our part. We have to play our part. We have to be responsible and we can get through this. And obviously with climate change and global warming, we can all do our part to save uh, everyone's lives and save the planet. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. The planet from it's from this threat. too big. Specifically in the US, a few years ago you had, obviously, or for quite a long time, you had Russia primarily as the threat in, in the US and in Western countries. Russia was a threat that people could focus on. So it's, there's all of these kind of like chunks of meat being thrown to the population in order for them to chew on effectively into... Um, yeah, an old one of, that has a current expression too is uh, communism. Yeah. The, now it's China. Right. If we just route out the Chinese right. influence and our myths... It's almost like a catharsis for people. Yes. They feel uh, that something's wrong with the world. They should be fighting back against something that is evil or wrong The or dark bad. forces. Dark forces. And then so you put a face on those dark forces and you can give them... People in particular, governments in different countries can give a face to those dark forces that suits the government, right? That, that is in, in line with the government's own personal objective. Like in the case of America, they put a Russian face on it because it serves the power brokers in the US to have the population join them in their focus on demonizing Russia, for example, or China. Uh, but then more generally, you have, like I said, COVID, the invisible, uh, mini microscopic nanoparticle-sized terrorist threat mm -hmm. um, that's hiding under your bed and everywhere else. And the all-encompassing threat from everywhere, above, below, inside, everywhere, climate change. Climate change, exactly. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, that, and that's what we mean by kind of looking at that from that kind of perspective, studying the whole thing. And it requires a, le a level of detachment, but that level of detachment is very useful in terms of reducing your stress levels about the whole thing because if you're not right in the middle of it, you don't feel like your future, your life, or the life of your family depends on you sorting this out, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, enough philosophizing. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, COVID, but we're talking about COVID. Let's jump straight into COVID. Uh, there's been another step. It's not really a big deal. There's not really much to say on the COVID. Well, there's a few things to say on the COVID front, but it's stuff that we've, it's just updates on what we've said before. Um, the next uh, kind of stick, next level or next part of the stick that has been brought out to beat people with uh, has been... Um, Produced by the Austrian government. Oh God, yeah. Which it really—that's all it is. The Austrian government has um, said that they are going to. Do you have that? Like Senator Scully, Sputnik article. Yeah. Um, Austria becomes the world's first country to impose COVID nineteen lockdown on unvaccinated. Uh, the Austrian Chancellor, Austrian High Chancellor. Uh, Alexander Schallenberg announced on Sunday that national lockdown starting next week for those who did not get their shot against COVID-19. Unvaccinated will be able to leave their homes only for several basic needs, such as going to work, doing groceries, or visiting a doctor. The decision to impose this measure was made upon the conference involving the government and heads of federal states of Austria. The restrictions will enter into force early Monday, as tomorrow, Schallenberg told a press conference, but children under 12 be exempt. He highlighted that police will monitor compliance with these restrictive measures and offenders will face punishment. And then, most important part, on the same day as these measures come in, tomorrow a national revaccination campaign will begin. 
So that tells you all you need to know about that. That's um, pretty much just the same stick they've been using. We're threatening people with the removal of, the, of their civil liberties if you don't get the vaccine. Uh, if I can add to that from The Guardian, they report that separately the German government set a plan to tighten restrictions against unvaccinated people. Hmm. So the high chancellor of Germany would like to follow suit. They're going to watch Austria and see. Well, yeah. Well, at one point they were kind of united Austria and Germany <laughs> under, under a certain uh, type of uh, regime, no? Anschluss. Yeah. Uh, not so long ago. So, I mean, it's just going back to... Old times. Back to the good old days. <laughs> back to the good old days of uh, carting people off to places for not doing what they're told, for not taking uh, medical <coughs> procedures. Um, but is uh, carting people off? It's more bluff. People. It's a joke. It's, it's a, a joke. joke. If I was in Austria now, I've read right now, that they're going to do have random spot checks, yes. checkpoints. Well, if I was in Austria right now, I'd be laughing. I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah whatever." You know what? I'm not getting vaccinated. I don't care. Because it's just, it's a paper tiger. There's, there's nothing to this. It's a, it's a joke. They're, they're just trying to threaten me to, with the removal of civil liberties that, you know, they won't really remove or won't really impact me. So I'm not going to bother um, worrying about it. And I'm certainly not going to go and rush and get the vaccine because as a result of this kind of manipulation or coercion. Or There might be an internal strategic motive to this because they're specifically targeting two regions in Austria, mm-hmm. one around Salzburg and also Upper Austria. So they probably notice which parts contain pockets of resistance, let's say, and then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. try to increase specific local pressure. Yeah. Uh, they've said, although we've heard that the president is directing this, the president in Austria is really a figurehead. Or mm-hmm. he, he deals more with the foreign chancellor. policy. Yeah. The chancellor. Um, I think. Isn't that the case? Isn't the actual, the prime minister? Oh, no, hang on. I'm getting confused. There is a president of Austria. The mm-hmm. chancellor is the elected mm-hmm. PM. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, similarly to what we're seeing in Russia, where Putin is trying to, you know, take a backseat. So, well, the federal government isn't pushing any of this. We're allowing the regions to decide what they want to do. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Although that's the federal government mandating it for certain regions in, 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 in Austria. You know what I mean? Um, it's the chancellor who, who made this decision. Right? Okay. So it's it is from the top. Enforced by the government. But don't you find it interesting, though, that obviously there's a bunch of people, significant enough number of people in Austria who haven't got vaccinated, and they have their reasons for it. But no one's asking them. They're wrong. And the government tells you what's right. And you're talking about people people's health you know they can spin it into spin it into protecting although that's the only way they could spin it uh, in terms of it, it it being justified to coerce people to get a medical treatment would be that if you don't get this medical treatment you're a danger to others otherwise there's no justification for it those people i mean it takes away the whole idea of bodily integrity and you as an adult human being being able to make a decision for your own health and to say you know, take advice from whoever you want and then say yes or no to mm-hmm. that advice. But you're not allowed to do that anymore. And, and they're flirt, you know, more than flirting with uh, th- this idea of physically restraining people, you know, imprisoning people if, if they don't or, or in some way punishing people if they don't take a medical, medical procedure on the basis of, of course, the background narrative is that if you don't do it, you're uh, endangering other people. But as you were saying earlier on, and there's lots of data right now and have been a lot of data uh, of late that uh, people who are vaccinated are the ones who are showing up in hospitals 
with COVID. Do you have that? Yeah. Um, this is for the UK. It's the latest, right. from, it's the latest data from Public Health England, which we and many others have, have referenced. But this, this is going on around the, <coughs> around the world, you know, um, in places that have high, high levels of vaccination where there are people are vaccinated are turning up in at emergency rooms and in hospitals. While Scotty opens the that link, I'll just also mention the Guardian article on Austria's lockdown. They sidestep the whole issue of individual rights, bodily autonomy, by just simply having a central paragraph that says about 65% of Austria's population are fully vaccinated. So is that too low? You well, know, the European average, they say, is about 67%. So it's not way off. I mean, but then they just have a simple statement with no backup. They just say, experts say a vaccination rate of at least 75% is needed to control the pandemic. Next sentence. Right. Moving on. So they insert that. Well, that's our appeal. It's, it's an appeal to, you know, the people as a whole. What's needed? Bodily autonomy, that's, you know, individual mm -hmm. rights. Listen, we have a, a war against the virus to fight here. Mm-hmm. Everything is justified by that then. Oh, yeah, okay. So this is the latest data from Public Health England. 83% um, of COVID-19 deaths and 67% of hospitalizations, presumably with COVID-19, were among the fully vaccinated during the past month in England. Mm -hmm. We've seen similar stats all year, but I think that ratio is increasing from from earlier stats and that their table there is from public health England, 83% of COVID-19 deaths are among the fully vaccinated and two thirds in the hospital. Remember what they're saying now? Oh no, we, we never created these vaccines to prevent transmission and to prevent you from getting sick. Mm -hmm. We did it to prevent, they say now hospitalizations and deaths. Right. But they're showing up in the numbers in, in greater, much greater numbers than the non-vaccinated. How do they spin that? Well, they don't, do they, really? Um, I mean, it's not, it's not being spun, really. It's just, uh, it doesn't really make any sense. And uh, they're, they're not commenting on it, basically, is, is the idea. They don't really follow through the logic of what that means, you know, um, that vaccines don't work i mean it's it's a gift like we've said before it's a gift that keeps on giving They're, obviously vaccines are down to in some cases down to like three percent after six months three percent efficacy i.e they don't no longer work after five six months uh, they're basically useless which is why they're talking about boosters now so for all the people who have gotten the vaccine a lot of them are i don't know how many but certainly older the older people who are most terrified by government messaging over the past 18 months they're going in droves to get their third shot their booster and probably you know they'll, they'll be extending that out to uh, under six under 65s yeah. in in the near future sure. in order to quote unquote save christmas um and to quote unquote travel and to travel and to yeah do be a free citizen um so those people just are, are have bought in and they'll keep they'll keep buying now at this point i suppose i don't know how long it'll go on if, if people will just accept that they have to get a booster or a vaccine for covid uh, twice a year or whatever but uh, so in that respect talking about the pandemic and keeping it going and blaming it on the 
unvaccinated or you know vaguely blaming it on the unvaccinated but not really because the data shows that it's the but he, it seems that what they're not actually saying is that at this point well although they have some people have said it explicitly but the obvious conclusion is that like i just said the vaccines don't last very long so and this virus isn't going away i've heard that term repeatedly by from authorities it's, it's not going we're, we're going to have to live with it but living with it it seems is you get regular vaccinations for it um if they would just kind of like relax and say, okay, all the people who are going to get vaccinated have got vaccinated, that's a good enough number. It's 65, 70, in some places, 80% of the population have taken the vaccination. So we are now assured a regular income. Uh, pharmaceutical companies are assured a regular income for the next, you know, well, forever, uh, potentially, uh, from 70, 80% of the population who will come twice a year to get vaccinated against this and uh, we're just going to have to live with it, right? Uh, why can't they just drop the whole thing and just, in that sense, you know? Yeah. They've got what they wanted, basically, which is a significant percent of the population, a significant majority of the population vaccinated. So why not just leave it at that? Are they really going to turn the screw and want to get the, the last few drops out of that uh, other 20%, 10, 20% of the population? I don't know. It seems a bit... Uh, well, I was speaking rhetorically, but may maybe there's, there's, there's more to it than that. But when they look at where demographically in their own country, any given government, or where geographically the rates aren't quite what we'd like, mm. whatever standard that they're, they're, they're setting it against, they, 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 might, they might see it as there's a problem here. There's a lack of informed citizenry. Or, Obedience? Well, they will never, maybe will they consciously connect yeah. that in their minds? Probably. They might look at it and go, oh, there's a lot of ignorance in these parts. Yeah. We need to get out there and to help them, save them, you know. There's been so much uh, official, you know, from official sources and from the media, admission that government messaging on this has been so convoluted, so confusing that you can't really blame people for not really, you know, but think, certainly you can't blame them for thinking twice about it or not being completely convinced by government messaging on it. And certainly, as we've said many times, the evidence before most people's eyes is that this really hasn't been <coughs> anything... Uh, <laughs> Anything approaching what most people would have thought a deadly pandemic was prior to 2020. If you just throw up that uh, link, it's from a really good uh, Twitter account. Neil, you should probably subscribe to it if you have a look out there. Um, uh, it's from... Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's... Uh, I follow that account. Yeah, yeah. That's why I... Yeah. It's... Um, this, this is actually something that came out just during the week there in France... Uh, it's just a translation of it that's translated. Its translation is the technical agency for the technical agency for information on hospitalizations in France. It's a, 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 an official organization that every year puts out a report on the uh, activity in hospitals, what was going on in hospitals in the past year, and they put out a report for 2020 just this week in France for hospitals in France and what was going on. And it states in part that, as you can see there, COVID patients represented two percent of all hospitalized patients during 2020 across all hospitals. Um, so 2%. Do you remember, does that sound like what you remember, what was going on in hospitals last year in France or in any other country? Because these numbers are similar in most other countries. 2% um, of hospitalizations. I'm not sure how to answer that because I have two versions in my head. One is the media version where they were crammed full of dead and dying COVID patients. Yeah. The other version is the one where the alternate sort of 
ears on the ground version was virtual hospitals were empty. Hospitals were empty. Well, it sounds like uh, this this data that's being that second one's being backed up by by this data from again from an official source, and this was talked about on major French mainstream news In the politics uh, talk chat shows. Let's just go back to the tweet there, Scotty. Um, so two percent not hospitalized. Two percent of all hospitalizations. Uh, then scroll down. COVID patients represented five percent of all patients managed in ICU or critical care units. So in ICU intensive care, five percent. Huh. The other ninety-five percent, something else. Eight percent of hospitalization days within these critical care units were dedicated to the management of COVID. That's hospital days. Eight percent. So very small percentages. And COVID was interesting. It was con- responsible for two percent of hospital admissions among those over eighty years old. Remember, it was yeah. the most deadly to the older you are, the yeah. more deadly it is. 2% of over 80s uh, were hospitalized last year with COVID. Uh, or, or rather, 2% of over 80s who were hospitalized were hospitalized for COVID. It was yeah. 2%, 2% represented uh, COVID. Uh, and uh, one third of that 2% died of COVID, which is six, 0.6% of all over 80 year olds. Who were ended up in hospital? Yeah, not of all eighty-year-olds. No, zero point six percent. Yeah, uh, well, it's two percent of all 80, over eighty-year-olds. I think. Uh, no, two percent. Yeah, two percent of hospital admissions among those over eighty-year-olds. Okay, yeah. So it's zero point six percent of that two of that two percent. Yeah. Um, and in contrast, they make the point that each year in France, heart failure kills fifteen percent of those over 80 years old who require hospitalization yes yes okay. the, the same number yes. basically uh, of all over of all over 80s who go into hospital yes. every year and die as a result or does that die from what they went into hospital for 15 percent yeah of them are killed by cardiac uh, problems uh, last year 0.6 percent were killed by covid and two percent of, of those hospitalizations were, were for COVID. This is, and just down below that, I put it, it's in French, though, but it's a, one example of the several mainstream media uh, shows that debated it. And the, guy, the guy's on there, he's just reading all this out, and the people in the studio, because there's other guests, yeah. they're just looking at it going. Were they shocked or just. They're just kind of like blank. They're like, did okay, it just so, go anyway? Yeah. And, and the host like, then says, well, okay, so it seems like it was maybe over, overhyped a little bit. Uh, it was, it, what we were told wasn't really reflective of what was going on. Okay. And moving on. You know, so there you go. I mean, that, but that's what we're dealing with in the world today in general. It's a small example of across many different fields of what we're dealing with. Yeah, factual reality versus... Versus what people believe is actually yeah. happening. Uh, and they don't care. Once they believe that something is the way it is, no amount of evidence, it seems, hard, irrefutable evidence will sway them from that belief. Yeah. Very, very difficult to sway people. And that's part of the human condition, right? So, um, Well, that, most that people, reminds me of those polls. I think they were done in the UK where people were asked how many... As a percentage of the overall population, how many do you think of us died last year? Right. And people had some <laughs> something like, oh, there was, a, there was a multiple choice. I think they could give all kinds of really sky-high figures. But, you know, they, they're reasonable people. Mm. So they settled for one of the middle numbers, which is like 8%. Yeah. So something like 4, 5 million Brits, <laughs> of the surviving Brits, 
of the pandemic, mm -hmm. thought that four or five million of their compatriots were dead, were lost yeah, in the pandemic. Yeah. But some people have no idea. And like, this is one thing we've, you know, I, <laughs> became, I was kind of shocked to realize that, you know, when I tell people uh, back home, like my parents and stuff like that, when I tell them about the number of people who, because they're hearing all these numbers all yeah. last year, but people are dying every day. And then I tell them the number of people who die every month in that country. And they're just like, wow, I didn't know that. They had no idea. People have no idea how many people die around them all the time. And last year they were given a blow by blow account of every single death almost yeah. by the media. And they were obviously shocked because they had no reference for it. And most people still don't have a reference for it. So, yeah. Uh, well, and they're still being bombarded with, fresh BS and you. Yeah. Like the World Health Organization warns that Europe as a whole is once again going to be the center of the pandemic. Right. Um, next year, uh, the WHO forecast this week that there will be 500,000 more deaths in Europe by February. Another well, dodgy model. Just dodgy model, random number, half a million, throw it out there. Yeah. A nice round number, yeah, half a million. It's a nice round number and it's probably based on something like how many people die all the time right. in a population of, what is your population? Half a billion. Yeah. 500,000 is like, one, is it 1%? No, 0.1%. Whatever. Of Europe's population. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, we talked about this last week, I think a little, just a little bit. There was just a good video someone put together. Um, we put up some articles last, last week on people... Sports people, and there's a lot of talk now oh. about, I mean, again, this is something that happened a while ago uh, because the vaccine rollout has rolled out to everybody who is going to be rolled out to anyway at this point, and the effects, the negative effects, uh, any negative effects from the vaccine have, have been seen uh, over the past several months through the summer and stuff, you know, because people started getting the vaccine around maybe March, April, younger people and stuff, and certainly for young people, particularly young people, teenagers in their 20s, uh, athletes, that kind of thing, they would have been maybe a bit more hesitant, so they maybe left it a bit later. So certainly over the summer and towards the end of the summer, you had a lot of, you, that's when you would have, were going to see a lot of, if there were going to be any, you're going to see a lot of the negative effects from it. Uh, it's a Whitting, Whitting, Wittgenstein on Twitter, Scotty. Um, just a little video, a compilation video. Order says the condition is rare. tragedies. Did she have any signs nope. before this race? Absolutely not. She felt like she was in the best shape of her life. That's incredible. Barcelona player. UFC wants to attack, but you've got to be careful. 
He collapsed. He collapsed. We have a player down. Yeah. If you want to jump to I'm going to just jump to the next tweet, Robert Malone, um, up, up above, yeah, at the top. Um, keep going up. Yeah. That, oh, that's the same one, is it? Uh, Looks like it yeah. is. 627. Um, I don't know. I have a different video on that six two seven at the end of it seven oh six five oh six two seven. High school senior is in the hospital after collapsing on the tennis courts. Breaking new details on the deaths of a high school soccer player. Finland, Denmark star man Christian Eriksson collapsing towards the end of the first half. The Kennedy High community mourning tonight after one of their high school football players died. A South Carolina high school football player has died after collapsing at football practice. Star college basketball player collapsing on the court. We want to warn you. The video may be difficult to watch. Florida Gators star Giante Johnson collapsing during the game. A West Catholic high school student has died after collapsing during a football scrimmage. On mile eight, she suddenly felt fuzzy and blacked out. 17-year-old Ryan Jacobs' heart stopped. Unexpectedly collapsed on the field. Megan went into cardiac arrest. Collapsing during Friday night's football game. for his collapse is unknown. The reason why Manny collapsed in the first place still isn't known. So you might be wondering how someone in such great shape could suffer cardiac arrest. It's a rare thing that happens. Yeah, so that's all. Um, if you see the dates and all those, you can slow them down. You can see the dates are all basically April to September mm. this year, you know, with a lot of them in the later summer. And uh, sure, it happens on a game where athletes will kind of have heart problems or any different kind of problems while playing, you know, um, but it's relatively rare. And I don't think anybody can, can disagree that over the past six months, the number of them over the past six months are way beyond the normal. Um, and obviously, someone who's interested in science and on a scientific mind would say, "Okay, this is something we need to look at and, and, and try and figure out what the what the cause is here, you know, or what the correlation at least is, you know." And it wouldn't be too hard to figure it out, right? There's not much of any significance that has been different this year 
in terms of the life of uh, an athlete uh, than the than the vaccination campaign with an experimental vaccine, an mRNA vaccine, mRNA vaccine yeah. um, which according to the CDC is known to cause uh, heart inflammation um, in very rare cases. And of course, people who would you know, respond to this who wouldn't be of like mind with us, let's say, would say that, well, you know, that's to be expected. You know, how many, how many athletes are there in, 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 in America or in the West? And how many of these people had these effects, you know? But again, I'm sure you can say it's a tiny percentage. It's very rare yeah. and stuff, but it's not rare from the point of view of the safety standard that was applied to vaccines before this one. That's, that's what's changed. The safety standards have been dropped super low yeah. for this vaccine. Yeah. And is that not a problem? Well, then you can say, well, I might have died of COVID. It's better. It's better. They, that they don't deny it. They, they, they acknowledge that it's going on. And if they're not saying something um, absurd like, well, it's normal or it's okay. It's myocarditis. Most teens will you know, survive it. True, they'll survive it, but they'll be forever weakened. They can kiss goodbye to a professional career. Um, if they're not saying that, then they're, they're coming back to aggregates. Don't get down into they oh they flee from individual autonomy bodily rights because they go back to the aggregate and they say, yeah, but hold on a second, we're dealing with a pandemic, hundreds of millions of people were vaccinated. Of course, there's going to be casualties. Mm-hmm. We said as much at the start, you know. So, yeah, everything is justified because of how they they massively overinflated the danger from COVID nineteen. Uh-huh. Was there somebody, so, somebody got a problem in the comments there? Pablo Popova. Pablo Popova. Yeah, he says, uh, uh, where did it go? Further up. What a crap. WLT was about Poland, Belarus, border, or WHTF. Dude, just, just, just relax. You know, we're going to get there, but, you know, it's not the only news. Uh, that happened this week, you know. I know, and I know Poland is the center of your world and stuff because you live there. But I saw an earlier comment from him. he said he says his brother is at the front, so there Doing are what as a soldier, right? So there are several thousand troops up there. It's it's yeah. pretty touchy. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, we just want to finish up with this COVID business because um, you know, and knock on knock on effects in the COVID business, which are, for example, we talked about in previous shows, supply chain problems. They're continuing. CNN, in particular, of note, has uh, has said supply chain issues. Yeah, they're going to go away. It's all fine. But then you just do a do a search today for supply chain problems on Google, and you see plenty of reports saying that it hasn't gone away from today and yesterday. There's one there from MSN, Scotty. If you want to stick it up, supply chain problems affect discount stores like TJ Maxx. And Marshalls, uh, this is just one of many. You can look, there's plenty of different articles showing that supply chain peop, uh, businesses are, are experiencing problems with supply chain. Uh, with the supply chain, uh, you won't be able to get designer clothes from TJ Maxx. Yeah, first world problem, but whatever. It's maybe a sign of worse things to come. And then um, if we just, the next one on MSNBC, a bastion of uh, ideological bullshit. For most, for the most part, um, there's a video here on um, on these supply chain issues just from past day or two. Uh, you just play it, play it there, and we'll you'll see what, what the story. Is. 
this reason for the country's backlog supply chain is something surprisingly simple. There just aren't enough people to drive the trucks. Drivers. Now, the industry, which predominantly employs white men over the age of 55, has a massive retention problem <laughs> with a 92% turnover rate last that didn't year, take long. leaving a shortage of 80,000 truck drivers nationwide. 80, and guess who's needed to bail out the industry? Our next guest will tell us. Joining me now, Pamela Day, owner and president of the Cross Country Truck Driving School. Uh, Pamela, so happy to have you here. I have to tell you, my brother is a truck driver, um, and he drives across the country and it's very uh, nerve-wracking to me uh, when he's on the road um, because uh, it's just it feels like a dangerous industry but you're trying to disrupt that and bring more people who look like us to the industry tell us why Yes, like ma'am. First of all, thank you for having me this morning. And yes, we are. And we say we're not building truck drivers, but safe CMV operators, folks that can get back to their home whenever they're done with their ship. That's the most important part, ma'am. Well, how can the industry be more welcoming? Because I have to tell you, I talked to a lot of truck drivers in uh, preparing for this segment, and um, most of these truck drivers are people of color, and they talked about, um, you know, hearing some of the racism um, over the CB. Um, you know, this is, again, an industry populated um, by a lot of white men over the age of 55. Um, this group of people overwhelmingly voted for Trump. Um, some people have talked about, you know, aggressive truck drivers uh, cutting them off or not being helpful. Um, yes, so obviously, the more off. populated it is with people of color, I think you'll see less of that. But how can you Stop encourage there. people to come and disrupt this space? Let's go back. Ten seconds. Where are we here? Just jump roughly. White men over the age of 55. Um, this group of people overwhelmingly voted for Trump. Um, some people have talked about, Ergo. you know, aggressive truck drivers uh, cutting them off or not being helpful. Um, so obviously, the more populated it is with people of color, I think you'll see less of that. But how can you encourage people to come and disrupt this space when it seems a bit unwelcoming? Well, I think I just what you're doing, getting uh, myself as a black female out there and letting people know I drove for almost eight years and, yes, ran into lots of racism, but, however, was out there to do my job. And I think that uh, women are. So she wants to get some women into it, but it just, you know, they hold this up as a as an issue here. But what do you think those numbers in terms of the, the second row and the third row? What do you think they're representative of also? The proportion of those people in the United States. In the population, yeah. Of course. Anyway. Um, but th these people, these people will, will be starting to go hungry in the next couple of years, let's say, if things get that bad, and they will be screaming racism. Yeah. Still. Well, everything will be about racism, uh, right? Uh, yeah, so it's, I just thought it was interesting the way MSNBC reports on this. So as soon as, you know, it's obviously Trump supporters, racist, white men, make up 75% of truck drivers, and that's a problem because they're rude and and racist, obviously, and the only way to solve it is to get uh, black men into, more black men into truck driving because then you won't have any of those problems anymore. They don't, black men don't, in trucks don't cut people off. Only white Trump supporters do. Uh, it's just, it's so infantile and idiotic, I mean, but then the people who listen to that are infantile and idiotic, obviously, who lap that up, right? They've got an infantile brain, right? They can't even yeah, deconstruct any of it, you know? She's, she's, um, she's carrying off. She's picking up where the current U.S. Secretary of Transportation left off last week mm -hmm. when in bigging up the Build Back Better slash infrastructure bill, mm -hmm. 
he went off on this bizarre monologue about how when we do it this time, we're going to do it differently. For example, he said, we'll no longer be around New York building the bridges so low that buses carrying, quote, Negro and Puerto Rican children from schools in, I don't know, upper New York to the beaches will be blocked, will have their access prevented. And people were there like, definitely his, you know, his woke uh, uh, press corps in the White House, they're on his side, but there was a, a silence. But they didn't know where he was going with that. Yeah, no wonder that even they had a, a brain fart in that moment because what he was implying was that the United States was infrastructurally built in such a way as to lock in racism. Yep. That's the argument. Like, we're, the we're argument. going beyond a systemic racism in terms of attitudes and stuff. Mm -hmm. No, we're literally living in a physically racist civilization and we're going to radically transform it the right way. Right. So uh, and that's also the, the same guy who, you know, two days earlier, Buttigieg and others in the Biden administration have said similarly that um, the supply chain issues will be solved if everyone gets vaccinated. Right. So you see climate change, structural racism, they, they just blend and they hop, they blend things and they go from one to the next seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense, even ideologically. Right. But people just... They just listen to it and they either agree with it or they call it bullshit and it just carries on. There's no pushback. There's no questioning of it. There doesn't seem to be any representation for critical thinking people in the mainstream media. There hasn't been for quite a long time. No. There's no representation of rational human beings in the, in the mainstream media, like right. as in them representing the population. Yeah, rational. but like you said, infantile minds on MSNBC and infantile mind in the White House, Right. The, the, all of them yep. think alike. Yeah, and that's ideology. Basically, yes. When you're possessed of an ideology, everything gets resolved down to the most simple, inane slogans that resonate in a very visceral, unthinking way with people, and that's what I don't know. It's it's possession, you know, and certain ideological possession. Uh, what about talking about wokeness? What's going on in Scotland? Scotland's bathrooms. I heard you were I hear you were reporting straight from Scot Scottish bathrooms recently. Um, you were up and. <laughs> In Edinburgh. In Edinburgh? Um, Not where the cops taking place. No, this is unrelated to cop, but like we just insinuated with the last item we looked at, it's all related, really. I've given it to Scotty. Um, headline from Scotland. Scottish government this week, quote, to put tampons and sanitary towels in male toilets in case they are needed by transgender civil servants. <laughs> Of which there are many, 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 I suppose. Oh, I and we look up, you know, <laughs> let me look up the numbers of transgender civil servants in the, in the Scottish government. Um, well, these days there might be a growing um, yeah. segment, huh? But, yeah. There's also the one I just sent you, Scotty, that, that speaks to this. I don't think we need any comment on, on that one or this next one. Uh, high, street, high street banks to put pronouns on staff name badges. Oh, There's two big... UK high street banks, NatWest and HSBC are the latest lenders to make, sorry, the latest ones just, to make the change in a bid to appeal, to appear, appear more inclusive to transgender workers and customers, again, of which there are many, right? No. Well, again, it depends on what you, there aren't really, but then you see polls like, um, 
I don't have it to hand, but I saw it this week. Something like 35 to 39, over a third of 18 to 22-year-olds polled in the United States today consider themselves to be LGBTQ+, whatever, one of them. 35%? Yes. Wow. So They've been... it, it, it's having an effect. Now, they're not actually. They're going, most of them are going to grow out of it. The reality is going to shock them back into Some, of course, genuinely are that confused or whatever, mm. or that way. Let's, let's not weigh in on that. A tiny minority. Mm. But it's massively inflated by all of this yeah. non-stop stuff coming from the top. It is having an effect on people's minds. So then that, Creating po- that poll will then be used. It will feed back into policy. And politicians thinking they will actually have to, God, even if they don't personally or aren't ideologically inclined themselves, they go, well, it's my, my, the input here is saying for the next election, there's a third of the population there, of the young population, I who, want to have on my side, way. so I will shape policy. Yeah, so it's not just transgenders, but it's people who support the whole t- transgender movement. And that's the, been the real, the real goal in order to get the non-transgender part of the population, which is 99 plus percent of it, to as much of that percentage as possible to support um, these measures that are in support of this tiny percentage of transgender people in the population. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. You would never have done that before, you know. I mean, I mean, for, for such a tiny percentage of the population who are actually transgender, who are actually men walking around as women or women walking around as men, uh, you see very, very few, at least, you know, as far as I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you live in a big city and they're like every other person. But I don't think that's the case. Um, so when it's a tiny percentage of the population who have this particular inclination, whatever, the idea that institutions would revamp policy for a tiny, tiny percent of the population has never, ever been done before. Because, and it's, and it's, it's reasonable, you can't do that because... I mean, you're pandering to personal inclinations, basically, personal whims of, of each, you know, potentially each member of the population. How do you run a business if you're going to cater to, you know, fairly radical differences between every member of your, of your, of your customer base? Like, you know, that's well, why you apparent- homogenize. That's why you get everybody to like the same thing. That's why you get everybody to agree to do the same thing, to, to conform, basically, right? Because it's unmanageable. Otherwise, every, in any society, you have to conform to social rules and, 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 and you know, social norms, let's say, in order to fit in and for society to work. If you start giving each individual their personal preferences and that they, then those personal preferences have to be validated by authorities or by institutions and reflected by them, well, then the whole thing just collapses. It's not, you can't run society that way at all. But they seem, they're going ahead. But like, they're doing it right because they've lost the thing about the banks and then the video we watched a couple of weeks ago was it the Microsoft employees yeah. Yeah. announcing. Now, they then came back with a rejoinder and for said... blind people. Yes. Or partially sighted people. Yeah. Anyway, it's crazy. Uh, we can just There's one last lockdown story we should mention. Yeah. The Netherlands is going to yeah. partial lockdown for everyone. Mm. That's different. The Austrian one at least makes a sense. It's the it's a logical next step from mm-hmm. where everything has happened so far. Mm-hmm. So what they're targeting, the non-vaccinated. The Netherlands is different. They're going to go into partial lockdown for everyone. For everyone. Vaccinated. Because COVID-19 infections, presumably by the same standards they were using last year, are way up. So vaccination hasn't done deadly squat then. We're pretty much back where we were last year. After yeah. this, the promises around vaccines that are, they're going to restore freedom and restore normality. 
normalcy uh, um, and we could all put it behind us? Apparently not, right? The vaccines haven't worked in that respect. You can say vaccines have not worked in that respect. If, if any country is going into lockdown with a significant majority of its population vaccinated, vaccines don't work. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. They don't mention that. Of course. They, uh, they don't work in order to do what they said they would do, which would, which is prevent there having to be another lockdown and open up society fully and we can all get back to normal. I'm not saying they don't work in terms of um, reducing severity of illness and stuff in certain demographics. They maybe do that. But um, uh, the, the lockdown that was recommended by the Dutch version of their independent uh, scientific advisors, their SAGE, was 14 days. So the government took that last week and said, three weeks, not two weeks, let's do three weeks. Um, the Prime Minister said, tonight we are bringing a very unpleasant message with very unpleasant and far-reaching measures. The virus is everywhere and needs to be combated everywhere. I want every Dutch citizen to be asking, can I do more? Can I do better? We had hoped with the vaccines we wouldn't have to do this, but we see the same situation all across Europe. Vaccines don't work. Between the lines, that's what he's saying. All right. Um, cop. Cop's over. It was a cop-out. Everybody's very unhappy with it. It was a joke. They didn't achieve anything, especially at the last minute when India and China threw in an amendment that said, yeah, we're not, we don't want to phase out coal. We want to... Phase down. They changed one word, out to down. Try a bit harder. We'll try a bit harder on the coal thing. I swear, I promise. China's like with his fingers crossed. Yeah, because like 60% of our energy comes from coal, but whatever. Um, and if you all like your plastic crap from China... You better not take our coal away. Yeah, it's it's farcical, isn't it? But it, it got me thinking that, that even though they, they deal in abstractions and they want to get a commitment and it's how they that would have some kind of internationally binding effect, however voluntary and unenforceable it is in practice, they still do seek consensus of message. And, you know, they're reasonably happy to have that statement. But then you're thinking, well, if, if what, 25,000 delegates, two weeks, massive event, what was it for? I mean, that surely costs money. What, what, what is the tangible benefit from that kind of it's thing? It's a talking shop. And I think the main point of it was to promote to the population this is a big thing and to get people on site and get them compliant with the measures that they're trying to put in place, which is basically destroying the energy economy as it has existed for you know the past 150, 200 years. Uh, based on fossil fuels and turn it over into so-called green energy, which is somehow miraculously and magically going to supply, replace the energy from fossil fuels with uh, wind turbines and solar panels, which obviously it's not. You can't show me one study anywhere that shows that that's a viable replacement for fossil fuels. It's not, given the current population, uh, you know, they probably would. And maybe that's why they don't produce those kind of studies because they'd say, yes, we can turn over, change, transition to green energy uh, and, and remove fossil fuels completely in the next 10 years as long as we reduce the population by about half or more. You know, they're not going to produce a study that has that caveat in there. So you just don't find any. You don't find any explanation of how... Show me the math. Show me the, the figures of how you're going to do it without destroying the global economy and, and as a result, killing off 
a large, large number of people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not possible. And even in the case of it, I mean, there's, you look at the whole climate change thing. I know it's been going on for so long. Global warming, humans causing global warming and all that kind of stuff. But um, they don't talk about it so much. And you see in a list of what climate change is and what's, what it's going to do to the planet. It's all about heating, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sea level rise, uh, more extreme weather, that kind of stuff. They don't mention something that's in every single uh, prediction or model of even if it's even human-based climate change or human-caused climate change is, uh, including global warming, one of the real possibilities is, not that they even admit to it, but they, it's bizarre, the melting of ice caps, mm-hmm. the Greenland ice cap, for example has been melting and melting, you know, for the past 20 years. It's been reducing, reducing, reducing every year, uh, which means vast amounts of water flood into the North Atlantic, uh, of, of fresh water flood into the North Atlantic. And they spin, the only thing, the only mention they give to that, which is a valid concern, is that it'll cause sea levels to rise. They don't mention a mainstay of all of this, of all of, all of the models and all of the predictions about uh, human-caused uh, global warming, is that that melting of ice caps... Sure, it might increase sea level a little bit, but in, in terms of the North Atlantic, particularly the, the Greenland ice cap, you have massive amount of fresh water coming into that North Atlantic drift, which basically carries warm water. It's like a conveyor belt that carries water, warm water uh, across the Atlantic and heats basically Europe and, and part of North America, keeps it warm in the winters and that kind of stuff. Um, and that massive amount of fresh water flooding into it would basically stall that conveyor belt, conveyor belt and break down that stop that heating element of uh, for, for Northern Europe and, and, and North America. And, uh, and then you have freezing. You have a global cooling scenario. And global cooling is, a, they even throw that in as a possible global cooling as a result of global warming. But in that scenario, if you're putting that out there as a scenario, why would you be thinking about destroying fossil fuels? You know, uh, coal and things, you know, wood. You're not allowed to burn anything anymore, basically, right? Mm. In the scenario where this, in this climate change scenario or global warming scenario that envisions a significant cooling of the planet. And, uh, you know, they've talked about Siberian conditions in the UK and Northern Europe. And you're going to destroy fossil fuels and expect people to. And I mean, with that cooling, you get all sorts of other effects that make solar panels pretty much useless. And if, as happened in the UK this past year, the wind doesn't blow enough, your wind turbines aren't much good, so what, everybody freezes to death? So, I'm beyond talking about any of it at this point, because anybody who even gives a cursory look at the actual studies and at their arguments and what they say, none of it makes sense. Yeah, it's arcane. I think it's designed to be that way. Like... Um, can you pull up the, the item I sent you last from The Guardian, Scotty? You look at this, this event, 25,000 people. It's like, why do they bother if... Well, w- one of the mantras, one of the assumptions that dict or dogmas that no one challenges, <clears throat> everyone was on song and entrained into the same thing, that the purpose was to at least get enough agreement to support our model's predictions of limiting no more than the current 1.5 degree Celsius right. global warming. So 1.5 C, it, was all, it became a kind of a codex, you know, 1.5 C, 1.5, whatever it takes to maintain. Okay, and then they can all go home and, and they, they've achieved 
enough agreement to satisfy their models forecasting that no more than a 1.5C warming. Okay, mm-hmm. we did something. We're mitigating it. Climate change will still happen, but at least, you know. Uh, but th- there will be no in-depth discussion there um, with differing all, opinions. Because they all Challenge, know already. Challenging that assumption. Everyone is brought, and they, they know. Well, who, who do you have there? Well, obviously, you've got... Put it back up. You've got government heads. You've got um, private industry. Yep. But 25,000 is a lot of people. Actually, most of them are young yeah. activists. Young activists, yeah. Who Maybe are, they're, the they're intern, they've got internships in the UN or the EU or something like that. They're the next couple of generations. It's about getting them together and gradually exposing them to things like this. Changes in behavior needed to tackle climate crisis. And the picture you see there is Sir Patrick Valance. Hi, I'm Sir Patrick Valens. You may have known me from the TV last year talking about how you need to lock yourself in your house because of COVID. And here I am telling you at the climate conference why you need to lock yourself in your home because of climate change. The UK need to, while they're there, you need to eat less meat and cycle to the grocery store to get your vegetables for one hour a day. That's mostly what they're doing there. They're all they're introducing each other and then training each other into the specific things they need to go back home and promote the shit out of cutting meat out of local restaurants, out of you know cafeterias, whatever it is. Anything that you know is, is, is meat. It's is minor behavioral changes. Um, no one is there to challenge. The assumptions mm. that are all wrong. No dissenters. <laughs> no, but there is an awful lot of discussion that will kind of merge. Like I bet they, I didn't look at it too closely, but I bet they had panels there like, what did we learn from COVID-19 lockdowns? And mm-hmm. then there'll be experts there saying, well, this is what we learned. And if you shape your, your message in this way, the people respond this way. They would have had all kinds of cross, cross-party workshops. Mm. That's, yeah, it's, that's what it's, it's about. Yeah. It's function, you know. Yeah. That's it's why about, they would sink all that money into yeah, such yeah. an event. That's the that's the bulk of it is is activism. Throw up the the JPEG COP twenty six uh, JPEG. This is just from today. This is a commentary by on the at the ending of it. Sir David King, former chief scientific advisor of the UK government and current chair of the Climate Crisis Advisory Group. So he's right up there in the centre of it, and he said there were real advances made in the agreement, following on from COP twenty one. Uh, adaptation, mitigation, and finance were all strengthened. Rules on carbon markets were approved. The importance of the protection, conservation, and restoration of nature and ecosystems was recognized, although the phrase critical importance was removed. <laughs> Apparently, for some people, it's not of critical importance. And the phase down, not phase out of coal, was approved at the last minute. So only going to phase down. We're going to phase it down by, you know, a few shovel, shovelfuls of coal. But the next paragraph. But there was no real understanding. This is him complaining about it. But there was no real understanding in the agreement of the extreme nature of the crisis. How do we, the current generation, ensure a manageable future for humanity? The threat to all of us from the loss of polar summer sea ice over the Arctic Ocean is a clear signal of the disaster from rising sea level. Severe extreme weather events and high temperatures. Okay, it doesn't mention cold temperatures, which is a very much a mainstream uh, potential result of the loss of sea ice over the Arctic Ocean and the Greenland ice sheet. But it was not addressed in any way. This was the meeting when the end of coal, oil and gas should have been set in place in an orderly, efficient and fair way. 
the end of coal, oil, and gas. The end, yeah. What kind of crack is he I smoking? Know. That's like you know, Europe is right in the middle, and, and, and America and a lot of the world soon are in the middle of uh, an energy crisis where like, there were advertisements in German television telling people to cuddle around a, a tea light yeah. this winter because they're not going to have enough gas because there's a gas, gas price rise and gas shortage and as a result of COVID and the lockdowns, energy supply, energy crisis. This is going on right now, and it's probably going to get worse over the next few months. And this shithead is talking about, is saying that today we should have agreed on ending coal, oil, and gas. I mean, yeah. does he want people to die? Does it's, he care that people will freeze to death? How, how it's does about he more think? than energy. It's about the very products that, that make everything run. I know. The whole world, <laughs> that's how the world works. You cannot change it over to yeah. some wishy-washy bullshit and uh, wind turbine and, and solar panel things that... Are, are dependent on the weather, literally, both of them. And like I said, in many cases, you know, when the wind doesn't blow strong enough, you don't get any electricity from your wind turbines. It's, it's beyond inane. I don't understand how these people, how are they even in positions where they actually get to talk about this stuff <clears throat> when they're so clearly full of shit? They're so idiotic. I don't yeah. know. Uh, there, there have to be esoteric versions of other versions that they're not telling us about this scenario. Um, yeah. Sir Patrick Valence, by the way, um, had, was ex was expo exposed last year for having something like six hundred thousand pounds worth in shareholding in vaccine companies. Right, he's probably got a lot. While of money in green energy deciding green vaccine too. policy in the United Kingdom, I bet he's got some money in green green companies too. Throw up Brown there just before we finish on this topic. This is from 1972. Check this out. From Brown University to the President of the White House. Dear Mr. President, written from it's the Department of Geological Sciences from Brown University, 1972, December 3rd. Dear Mr. President, aware of your deep concern with the future of the world, we feel obliged to inform you on the results of the scientific conference held here recently. This is a previous Santera conference. The conference dealt with the past and future changes of climate and was attended by 42 top American and European investigators. We enclose the summary report published in Science and further publications are forthcoming. The main conclusion of the meeting was that a global deterioration of climate by order of magnitude larger, larger than any hitherto experienced by civilized mankind is a very real possibility and indeed may be due very soon. The cooling has natural cause and falls within the rank of processes which produced the last ice age. This is a surprising result based largely on recent studies of deep sea sediments. Existing data still do not allow the forecast of the precise timing of the predicted development, nor the assessment of man's interference with the natural trends. It could not be excluded, however, that the cooling now underway in the northern hemisphere is the start of the expected shift. The present rate of the cooling seems fast enough to bring glacial temperatures in about a century. Yeah, maybe a bit sooner, if continuing at the present pace. Now, that's based on deep sea sediments back then mm -hmm. deep sea sediments that go back thousands yeah and some tens of thousands of years that show a pattern same with ice cores and stuff right apparently they're i have a theory apparently they changed those deep sea sediments now someone back in time and people changed have them. pulled up over the years um from the 70s 
Time magazine covers yeah. referring to this kind of research Global that cooling. was being done. Global cooling. Ice age. Ice age coming. And then, well, the most you can say, but the least rather you can say is that, well, look at it. There was an hysteria at the time about cooling and that was being promoted through the media. And then in our time, there's just a different kind of hysteria. It's just global warming. There was no, there was they, no they hysteria over cooling back then, like right. hysteria not, today. Not like today. It's not, not comparable. But that was one, on one Time magazine cover. Are you kidding me? It's in freaking every single newspaper on the lips of every single yeah. journalist for it's the past comparable. 10 years. But the, 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 all, all I'm saying is I'm presenting here. Their I'm setting argument. it up to knock it down. The skeptic's simple argument, which is, well, look, back then they said cooling. Now they say warming. Who knows? Are they right or they wrong? I have a theory. I think that was real, like non, um, ideologically non grant funded. Funded. It didn't depend that their yeah. research didn't depend on producing the right data the right and outcomes. Yeah. Yep. And then around this time in the early seventies, it was hijacked. Mm -hmm. Club of Rome. Mm -hmm. Limits to growth. Mm -hmm especially the British establishment, but not exclusively. Um, hence, their names keep popping up throughout the last few decades, promoting the heck out of this. Maggie Thatcher in the 80s right. was the first to give the whole global warming speech as yeah. a politician. Because if it's cooling, if cooling is the, is the prediction, then what do you do? Will you invest in fossil fuels? You invest in nuclear power? Massive infrastructure. And yeah, poverty, exactly. poverty re reduction right. today, or they're all wiped off the face of the earth. Right. It's cooling. all positive. Cooling produces a positive response from society. Warming allows them to basically put in place plans and ideas uh, for, the, for the radical overhaul of society that implies very definitely and very directly the death of large numbers of people. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to Poland before Pablo gets, before Pablo leaves. Yeah. Poland. Tell Pablo what's going on in his country. <laughs> He's too close to it. <laughs> um, How did this all start? Belarus? It all starts with... Okay, so there are several thousand and possibly more in the wings, i.e. back in Minsk, ready to be push, pushed out there on the frontier. There are several thousand Syrian, Iraqi, mostly... Why are they suddenly refugees coming Refugees slash migrants in Belarus. Why are they coming there? They want to get to Europe. How, supposedly, like how is it, previous waves did. Want it's to being get facilitated, though. It obviously is being facilitated. The finger pointing is at Belarus. At Lukashenko. Lukashenko. Uh, the theory being that it's a response to the enormous pressure he came under last year, sanctions. a type of color revolution situation, followed by or at the same time as massive sanctions from the US and the EU against... Directed at him and indirectly at Russia, at Putin. Yes, as an ally of Russia, of course, very tight ally. Belarus would be a major scalp, just like Ukraine was, I suppose, for the West against Russia. So that's the geopolitical interest. The more specific timing interest, though, is the extent to which Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, was against the entire COVID-19 shtick from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He probably said too many things out loud and theoretically... It's the color money. revolution type blow up when they had elections last August 2020 was a kind of pushback from 
the system, let's say, against him right. for being so antagonistic. I mean, not even at least in Putin's Russia and every other you know non-Western countries were at least playing lip service to the agenda to sort of I presume to fly under the radar somewhat. Although the extent to which Russia has embraced it is a bit scary. But um, anyway, so Belarus has been flagrantly holding the middle finger up to the entire COVID nineteen spiel. So pandemic. Um, they get a color revolution type situation. And then there was a, another flare up with um, uh, airlines flying over Belarus mm -hmm. that were commandeered. Basically, they sent up uh, flight interceptors to take down a Ryanair aircraft mm -hmm. that was on its way to Poland. Um, because it was a journalist who, a quote unquote journalist, he was actually a rabid extreme activist mm -hmm. against the Lukashenko government mm -hmm. um, because they want to arrest him for involvement. And then they get sanctioned for yeah, that, something right? or other, probably in the protest. Then they got sanctioned in response from the EU and Washington. So this, in theory, is so then this flares up, and and it's hard not to it's, it's see hard. it as a as a as a response from Belarus. Using the example of Turkey, or using the example of what Turkey did back a few years ago in in trying to put pressure on Europe by yes. funneling refugees. I mean, it's a. It's a two for one in a certain sense. I mean, obviously, with those, those refugees coming from Syria and Iraq are primarily the responsibility of America and the West who bombed and destroyed Iraq and Syria. So when they come flooding into Turkey, Turkey's like, well, dude, this is your problem. We're not going to house all of these people. Yeah. We're going to facilitate them. But at the same time, we can use them as leverage because one too many refugees and you know your, your population aren't going to get too happy Tur and stuff so we can push them on you and with the promise of saying that we'll keep them if you play ball with us in certain political on certain political agendas so using that example belarus is doing the same thing but for different reasons obviously they're pushing back against trying to put leverage on europe Turkey has a land border with the countries that were bombed by right. the West. Yeah, Belarus exactly. doesn't. Right. So how are they getting into Minsk? Exactly. Well, they're flying they, directly it from is apparent. They did apparently ease up visa controls. Right. They facilitated That's the this. only way it happens, right? It, it must have been directly... At the point of departure in Iraq or in Syria, you can't get on a plane to Belarus unless... Belarus is okay with that. There's a stamp on your passport that says you are you've applied for a visa or whatever yes. to, to gain, be an entry, and you have to do that through official channels. You can't just get in the plane and go to Belarus or anywhere out of any country unless you have proper entry requirements that are given by the country that you're going to. Yeah. So clearly Belarus facilitated the movement of these uh, migrants, and obviously then it's been pushed on onto They're then Poland. encouraging them out to Poland. Oh, yeah. There are different testimonies from people who are among the refugees themselves or among border guards, uh, Polish border guards, who claim to have seen specific documentation with instructions issued to, or given to these refugees from some pe people in Minsk, directing them where to go, how to try and attempt mm. to breach the border. Mm -hmm. Poland is obviously like raging because yeah. they, they managed to escape, so to speak, the mass migration wave of 2015. Mm -hmm. And now this... Um, Okay, so there are different levels to this. First thing, you know, you're going to have empathy for people who are being used again. Again, for geopol geopolitical purposes. They're, they're being used. Um, several of them, I've, I've heard of eight, between eight and 12 people have died. It's freezing cold, mm -hmm. obviously, in deep continental Eastern Europe right now. Um, they are literally in 
like no man's land because they have Belarusian guards armed at at their backs, mm-hmm. and then they have an increasingly enormous several thousand troops the Poles oh. sent, and they're they're. They're putting out calls. They want NATO. They want American troops. The British um, sent a small contingent of forces, well, <laughs> 10, to help with um, infrastructure. Yeah. Probably to help with di- directing whatever the hell's going on. I'm not sure um, if it's all on Belarus, though. Putin, when he's obviously, Putin's been targeted on this because, you know, the theory being Belarus doesn't do anything without the Kremlin's approval. Um, but the Kremlin's been defending itself all week, saying, well, hang on, we didn't start this thing by re- referring to the wars in the Middle East. Um, Putin further suggested that, uh, hang on, whatever's going on here at the Minsk end, none of this would be possible without some kind of facilitation at the EU end, within Poland and beyond inside Europe. So he's, he's suggesting that there's some, there's some gamesmanship Mm. on both sides going on here. And Lukashenko, Lukashenko threatened to cut off gas supplies to Europe, to Germany. There's a pipeline, a Russian gas pipeline coming from Russia through Belarus into Germany, uh, about uh, a third of, uh, of Germany's gas, I think, at least. Um, and he threatened to, to, to shut that off, um, or saying that he could do that. But apparently Putin, or the Russians, said, uh, no, that's not going to happen, because obviously they have control over it. It's coming directly from there, and they have, do have control over it. Belarus, in the sense that the pipeline running through Belarus is, uh, is originates Russia, in Russia. Russia. So they've uh, pushed back on that. So you know, and it obviously works in their favour, right? They don't look like they're the Russians. To be to be fair, have said repeatedly that they will never interrupt the gas supplies. Too, they will never use gas in that respect as a as a geopolitical weapon against Europe, and they haven't done so. There's no reason to think that they have done so, or they intend to do so. You know, so yeah. Um, so that's where it's at, and it's just—is it going to get worse? Is it going to get bur- is it going to get better? Are there going to be more migrants? Is it all just going to peter out, or is this going to be a rolling thing over the next few months, right through the winter? Um, it might not even last that long. This might come to a head soon because it's going to be freezing. Mm-hmm. Something has to give. Either yeah. Belarus takes them back to Minsk and houses and feeds them, or Poland has to yield and open. Mm-hmm. But Poland is like <laughs> tackling this. Um, full, let's say full. This is part of the irony of the whole thing. They're doing a full Orban on this. Yeah, reinforcing the walls, not letting anyone in. Um, they're heavily armed. Uh, actually, a Polish soldier accidentally killed himself. Supposedly, his gun discharged accidentally. So well, there's already been one Polish military death accidentally. Mm-hmm. They say today. Um, the <laughs> the Polish government is basically there's so many layers to this the polish government is itself under extreme pressure from the european union over its alleged political misuse of the judicial system mm-hmm. once the current party which is basically a populist right party mm-hmm. took power um and to the extent that, you know, they've been threatened with being booted out of the European Union, um, having themselves serious sanctions from Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, that's separate from the Belarus issue. So that's going on um, between Poland and Europe. In this issue, Poland is looking to 
its allies in the European Union and further afield to come rescue them or to support right. them at least. In they want to activate Article NATO's Article Article Four, right? Of uh, one of us is under threat, mutual so mutual defense, basically, yeah. mutual. Which is which is just so much hyperbole around these situations, and you know. We've dealt with this many times before, but I mean, over the past number of years, all of the stuff in the media about, you know, there's going to be a war, a nuclear war between Russia and the US and all that kind of stuff. And repeatedly we were like, you know, poo-pooing it and saying it's not going to happen. And obviously it didn't happen. So. Well, and it's being fueled, especially, it's noticeable in the British media. Yeah. Um, the British Foreign Secretary, actually, before, I'll give, I give a statement from her in a minute. The thing I just sent you, Scotty, is a tweet. Um, with a British tabloid's headline, I think yesterday, the U.S. to put 4,000 mile-per-hour mile Dark Eagle nukes in Germany to, quote, blitz Moscow in six minutes. Yeah. That was their actual headline in the most read paper in the United Kingdom. Dark two, Eagle two nukes. Ago. Uh, they, no. later, they later had to update the article because, in fact, these are theoretical... They don't know, they aren't built yet. These are the theoretical yeah. US hypersonic well, that's, well, that's missiles. Example, that's an example of the sensationalism in media. What were you going to say, Scotty? No, I was just going to say, note that these don't exist yet and they're expected to come into service in 2023, but the tests that they've done already, uh, like, they don't work. they're crap. They don't yeah. work. So that, you know, <laughs> so people, you need, to, you need to always, always take stuff in the media with a grain of salt and do your own research and apply some rational clear-headed thinking about the whole thing and understand how things actually work as opposed to how the media would want you to believe they work. Uh, you know, you're, you, people are being sold bullshit and have been for decades from by the media and given a distorted view of reality. And just stop, stop reacting like Pavlovian dogs to media headlines, you know what I mean? No matter where they come from, because there's always a more complex, nuanced explanation behind it that is not as sensational. There's a comment here in the, the chat room to that headline. Feels very 80s to me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's Cold War rhetoric, you know, squared. But it doesn't even have any substantial threat behind it because, as Scotty pointed out, the headline wants to invite its readers to believe that we're on the precipice, possibly, of a nuclear standoff between Washington and Russia. Yeah, fear. But actually... There would only be there, – there, there isn't even a standoff because those weapons don't exist. You know? Right. Um, but in the meantime, the rhetoric from the British is, is off the charts. In the um, – uh, let me see. The Telegraph yesterday, the British Foreign Secretary went on a spiel. I've sent it to you just there, Scotty. Basically, it's like just pure Liz Truss. She's the current foreign secretary for the British government. We must stand together for freedom and democracy. Without really referring to any facts, uh, she takes it out of given that her readership understands that this is a Russian-caused hybrid war type situation against the West. And she's rallying the troops, you know, the mm. troops being like NATO. Not the EU, of course, because Britain's no longer in the EU. But we're all one and together as NATO against the Russian threat. Right. Um, the, 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 the quintessential irony at the heart of all this, though, is that if 
it is indeed what it appears to be a kind of a fourth generation type warfare, a hybrid warfare tactic by Belarus to get what it wants geopolitically or to get some balance, to fight back. It's just, it's just one weapon it has to fight back. Where did it learn the use of what is called directed mass migration from? Yeah. It's not just, we mentioned Erdogan earlier. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, you know, he could have used that at any time over the last two decades. Mm -hmm. By the time he used it, there have been some four to six million Syrians and Iraqis and Afghanis living in house and foods and clothes in Turkey for over a decade. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, where did this, uh, the idea didn't, it, Erdogan didn't come up with it either. No. And Lukashenko's, you know, uh, didn't hatch this plot with the Kremlin. They're applying a tactic that somebody else first started using. Yeah, that's par for the course, right? And then they get to turn around and lecture them about freedom and democracy. Mm -hmm. All the while, you know, a smelling of roses. Like we have never conceived, much less done something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Um, similar statement today, in fact, from the head of the British military forces, General Sir Nick Carter. It's BS. We've already explained why it's BS. But still, this is what they feed Western audience on a daily basis. British general warns about possible accidental war with Russia. As if, A, you're on military parity with Russia, you're not. And B, it's not even close to an accident. There'll be nothing accidental about it. This is just pure posturing. Um, scroll down a bit. I want to see what he says. Um, yeah, yeah, we're at risk of accidental war, the chief of the defense staff said, adding that, quote, traditional diplomatic mechanisms are no longer there. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that they've been like booting Russian diplomats out of their mm -hmm. countries in multiple stages over the last ten some years, especially since Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, the emergence of a quote multipolar world from the ashes of the bipolar international system of the Cold War has led to greater competition between nations, which you can easily see the UK as well as other Western states and Russia pitted against one another. Well that's okay. That's obvious. But you can see what he has in mind here. It's like uh, the very fact that he the reason he's been able to launch on this spiel about Russia Russia returning to Russian you know Russiaphobia is thanks to this mm -hmm. border dispute Russia, well they take every opportunity right anything and he wouldn't even have to mention it he just I'll just refer back, refer back to the last 10 years of what we've been saying yeah. about Russia you already know all this right yeah um, so yeah, our prediction on the Poland border crisis is that it's gonna it's gonna blow fairly soon. Something will have to be done, or or not. This or is not. Poland we're talking about. Yeah, nineteen thirty nine. You know, Poland. Poland has Poland hasn't always had the smartest leaders. Leaders. I'm not sure that's no longer the case. Yeah. 
they could do something nuts. Mm-hmm. Whereas, say, Orban, Prime Minister of Hungary, did some similar measures or made similar statements in reinforcing Hungary and, you know, managed to shield any kind of um, large numbers of, of migrants from passing, even just from passing through, never mind staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past the polls to, to start shooting. I doubt it. Really? You doubt it? No, they wouldn't do that, no. No? No. That would be, that would look very bad. They're not that crazy yet. Well, in 1939, there was shooting. And then there was a back and forth about who instigated it and who was dis- disguised as, I think they could be tricked into something. Yeah, well, there could be some provocation or whatever, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But um, Pablo, don't get too freaked out about it. It'll, it'll work itself out. Oh, yeah, we've got a guy here who's freaking out. I didn't say the most helpful thing there. Sorry, dude. No. You said earlier on that it was going to blow over fairly quickly. Do you want to stick with that one? Yeah. All right. Neil's sticking with that one. <laughs> I assume the redactor was published. Really. <laughs> no. Yeah. Tangled I, history. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm just. I'm just afraid that the Polish leadership will misread signals from Britain and elsewhere in the West, presumably the US, uh-huh. as a green light yeah. to go too far. We've got your back kind of thing. And which then... provokes Belarus. And then Russia's like, it is a classic geopolitical standoff. Yeah, the yeah. kind of thing that did start in wars. The past, in the past, started wars, yeah. Yep. All right. Um, anything else you want to bring up of note? Uh, there could be something blowing up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin tomorrow. tomorrow. Rittenhouse, the Rittenhouse trial. I don't know who's been following the Rittenhouse trial. Um, but that could be this. Yeah, it could be the next round of uh, looting and burning um, on streets. Who knows where? Possibly in Wisconsin, but possibly further afield. Uh, Rittenhouse last summer in Kenosha, in Kenosha, in Wisconsin. During the riots over, I can't remember that guy's name, but a black guy who was shot by cops. Riding for several days, Rittenhouse goes down with his gun and his med- medical bag to put out fires and to protect businesses and ends up shooting two people who tried to attack him and injuring one other guy. Um, and uh, he's on trial. He's been on trial for a couple of weeks now and um, it's been interesting enough to watch the trial, actually. It's been, you know, long, but uh, tomorrow they're going to, the jury's going to deliberate and give their verdict and... <laughs> Probably it's, expe- it's expected that he'll be yeah. pretty much let off with and, and only face a couple of minor charges or something of, of illegal possession of a weapon or transporting across state lines, and um, and in that case, there's a chance that uh, yeah, which uh, will surprise the people who live in the pseudo pseudo reality because they were told by the media last year that this man is a guilty Trump supporting yeah. white supremacist yeah. part of a militia. Uh, Joe Biden, then a candidate. Um, went on CNN and said that Kyle Rittenhouse, he was hearing from people, was a member of the Illinois white supremacist militia. Mm. Um, and why the hell hasn't our president, you know, condemned this man yet? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Joe Biden, who in the same interview said, the only reason I joined the race to become president was because I was motivated by what I saw in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. So he, the guy is already condemned. A lot of people are going to wake up on Monday and go, what the hell's going on? And yeah. Hence the, the energy that 
probably right. be released into rioting. The Wisconsin governor isn't taking any chances. Uh, 500 National Guard troops on standby. For tomorrow, for tomorrow. night, probably. Uh, yeah, the two guys he shot, or three three people he shot, two of them he killed, one of them he just injured, uh, are all white guys uh, who were for some reason in the middle of a basically a Black Lives Matter burning and looting session uh, in response to the shooting of a, a black guy by a cop a few days previously. And um, But the two guys he shot, one of them has, has a criminal record for domestic abuse and the other one he shot, both of them dead, uh, the one one of them he shot um, has a criminal record for as a child abuse, basically paedophile. He's a registered child sex offender. Um, so uh, and he was shot a few times, uh, once in the cojones. There's some kind of cosmic justice there, maybe. But, um, yeah, so that's the bare bones of, of that case. It's just another, it's just an ongoing, the ongoing... Uh, culture war. ...thing, culture war in America that uh, doesn't seem to have any solution. It's just going to, has to work itself out, for better or worse. And just stay, stay safe, you know. Stay away from it. Stay away from most things, basically. Um, but don't worry too much about the COVID, unless you're listening to this and you're over eighty with four, three or four long-term comorbidities. The COVID won't really bother do you any harm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Will that do? That'll do. That's we'll call it quits there yeah. for this week. Um, that, that was all the news that was fit or that we, th- we thought was fit to actually talk about. Um, we hope you enjoyed our little discussion here. Um, thanks for commenting and talking and chatting and watching and listening and whatever you were doing. And Pablo, you know, just take it easy. Don't worry too much. I know Polish people are, have a tendency, uh, tendency to get a bit worked up about things in general. So you all need to take a chill pill and not stress it too much. Yeah, so we'll be back next week with another show on whatever's been happening between now and then. Um, We hope you'll join us for it. Uh, Stay tuned and stay safe and see you next week. Bye. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now.